Check one, check one, two, three. Hey everybody, it's Michael Helms, also known as Michael the Sound Guy, and this is the Location Sound Podcast. You know, each episode we talk with location sound mixers, boom ops, and other industry pros about the various aspects of recording sound on location, whether it's for feature and independent films, TV commercials, interviews, any time where dialogue from actors is recorded. I started my career in the recording studios in New York City with some of the big artists back in the day, and later on projects for networks like HBO, Sci-Fi Channel, and the Cartoon Network. As time went by, I got out of the studio and began working in production sound. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or just starting out, thanks for joining us. My guest today is a production sound mixer and boom op based out of Johannesburg, South Africa. Please welcome Stefan Sparky Smuts. Hi there, how's it going Michael? Very stoked to be here. Now Stefan, we always like to start off the show by asking what's in your audio kit? Just a rundown of your mics, your mixer, your power distribution, and everything in between. Sure. So I'm running the OR32 bag with the OR40 harness. And in that OR32, I'm running a Sound Devices MixPre 6. And wireless systems, I'm running two Sony UWP-D11 systems and one Rode Filmmaker Lav system. So about three channels of dialogue and then a wired boom. So my power distribution is actually pretty much a DIY. It's a power bank, 20,000 milliamp, and I'm able to run the MixPre 6 via USB-C straight through into USB into that power bank. And then I do a Y split into the Sony receivers. So it was kind of like a, an affordable, cheap solution at the time, but uh, it seems to be working really effective. So I haven't really changed that much. And um, mic-wise, I'm just running on the labs, I'm just running the standard Sony labs that come with the system themselves, along with the Rode. I'm running an NTG2, the Rode, and a Sennheiser 416, which you're currently hearing right now. Okay. Now, between the NTG2 and your Sennheiser 416, how's the sound difference? I'm still trying to get to, to know the 416. I actually just bought it about two weeks ago. Thankfully, I came off a job. The guys had a great deal going and I was like, this is a great opportunity for me to get involved. Ended up buying it and using it for a commercial that I ended up shooting and it sounded fantastic. I was, I was really happy with the purchase. And um, you know, as you know as well, I mean, people just constantly rave about the 416 and its versatility. So you know, I couldn't wait to jump on board with that. So yeah, very happy. The sound between the two, is it, is it pretty close? How have you found that? I just find that the, the 416 seems to just Oh, it just seems to sound so much better for dialogue. Although the NTG2 still, I mean, compare value to money, the NTG2 is actually, it's not bad at all for what you for what you pay for. But on the other hand, you know, I have been shooting a lot more dialogue. I've been shooting, I've been using the NTG a lot for sound effects recordings and stuff like that. A lot of 48 hour films, I've used them and um, it sounds great. So that was definitely not a bad purchase. It's always something good to have in your kit. But then as I started getting more high-end projects, I definitely felt that I needed to step up the game with regard to the microphones and then decided to go for, you know, pretty much the industry standard, which is the 416, you know, and just for ease of mind, you know, you know, it's going to sound good, you know, it's going to sound like broadcast um, 
And, you know, that makes a difference if you're a confident engineer and you, you know that your gear is going to, you know, also help and not let you down. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make the workflow a whole lot better. But yeah, I love the way it sounds, especially on dialogue. Now, when it comes to uh, timecode, do you use timecode boxes at all? Not yet. I'm currently looking at the tentacle sync systems, but currently I'm just running time of day and we generally just have a, a slate on set to slate sync. And uh, it's it's been working out well so far. Now, do you go direct to camera ever, or do you just record separate and then they sync it up and post? I also run a cam hop as well, so I'll send I'll send the main camera feed, then they just sync it up and post. Uh, whether they want to use the slate or whether whether they want to use time of day, it's it's really their option. But I'm definitely looking at getting into the tentacle syncs. Um, it would definitely be a more professional way about going about things, actually. Okay. Yeah, I did a test with a MixPre-6 and basically fed in timecode through the little aux input. You can just choose it as a timecode option, and it worked great. So, you know, even though it, it doesn't have onboard timecode, it, it still is a reader. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a great thing. I mean, this MixPre-6 is extremely versatile. What I ended up doing is I have a Panasonic GH5, and what I ended up doing was I ended up sending timecode out of the camera into the actual HDMI TCN, and that just locked in with the time code as well as the frame rate, which is very nice. It's a very nice option to have. And also, too, I think it'll do a record trigger, right? So you hit record on the camera, and then the, uh, you can set it up where the Mix Pre will start recording as well. Correct, 100%. Uh, and that works out really well. I think this, these were mainly designed for DSLR cameras and that type, type of style shooting, which makes it a lot easier for you know, for one operator to hit one record button and everything's rolling. So I can imagine that that makes a big difference. But um, yeah, really happy with the Mix Pre 6. I actually started off with the Zoom H6. I ended up buying an MPC studio back in college and uh, a 48-hour project came up and I was like, wow, okay, I'm, I'm really going to need a field recorder because our college didn't end up having much sound recording gear. I was like, okay, cool, this is a great opportunity. Sold the MPC studio ended up buying the Zoom H6. And uh, that pretty much got me started on top of that. I went for the NTG2, the Rode Filmmaker Lab system. And that's pretty much what I ran along with the Sennheiser G3s on my first shoot. And it, it worked great, it worked great. Oh, that's good. Now, uh, what are some of the main projects you work on when you record location sound? So a lot of the main projects that I've been doing is uh, mainly jumping when I started off it was a lot of sound design and a lot of audio post work. And then it moved into more dialogue based work, thankfully. Um, a friend of mine, Michael Princely, he ended up getting me involved in more of the professional location sound stuff, which I really appreciate because it was, it was quite hard to break into the industry at first. Um, and then what I ended up doing was we started shooting a lot of renovation shows. So one of the renovation shows that, that we shot recently was a show called Reno Race. We're currently on season three. Now we go to very poor locations in Johannesburg, South Africa. These are townships like Mamelodi um, and Tembisa. And we actually go in and we renovate the homes. But when I mean homes, I mean, you know, like, like shacks pretty much. So the people don't really have a lot to begin with. So 
it's it's kind of really it's really feel good work actually because i mean you're the sound guy when the renovation's done they come and thank you and i'm just like hey i'm just the sound guy i just recorded the dialogue you know it's you need to thank the the workers for that so that was really an eye opener for me to to actually go into these locations because you know you, you might see it on movies like you know the nelson mandela movie where you you see where you know, everything started and the townships and that, those kind of locations. Until you're there, you don't really know what it's actually like, you know, and the conditions that these people actually live in. So, I mean, you know, coming home after every day uh, shooting, you know, you're just, you just appreciate having a plate of food on your table and a, a bed and a good bathroom to use at the end of the day. And um, yeah, that was really cool work. And then I ended up doing another renovation show actually, which was more to the higher end scale where people aren't actually getting the price that they want on their house. So we come in and renovate it to the point where we can now justify, okay, well, we've added value to your home. Then we get potential buyers in and property agents. So we, we make things a lot more active for the, for the actual client, which is pretty cool. That's mainly shot in in Afrikaans, which is a, another South African language. But then they bounce between English and Afrikaans. The Renaray stuff was as well, African language vernacular, mainly between Zulu and uh, Kosa. So that's also the really crazy thing. You know, we have so many different languages in South Africa that uh, you kind of need to adapt as you go, pretty much. But um, thankfully, we, we have people helping us with translations and, and that kind of stuff. So that really helps a lot. You know, being able to record in all these different languages, you know, you know you're getting good audio. You just don't always know what they're saying. Exactly, exactly. Do you speak any of these other languages as well? Um, so my dad's Afrikaans, so I understand Afrikaans. So the the Fatschuchten track actually stands for take your stuff and go. Uh, so I understand that language. Uh, my best friend is actually Kosa. So I understand a little bit of it, but you know, nowhere near to the extent of, of, you know, what you need to know when you need to help your, your talent fix certain things. So that's why we have the translators there just to help us and guide us through those situations. Wow. And plus, yeah, you're doing these projects, you're working, you're, you're trying to make a living, but you're also helping people, you know, it's like a humanitarian, you know, outreach going on there as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's quite a great feeling, but I mean, um, you know, my girlfriend can't wait to, to hear the stories as I come home every day, you know, because I've always got something to tell. I mean, the first day that we were shooting, you know, I think we might have been a bit too comfortable. And um, what ended up happening was someone's bag just straight up got stolen out the car. So that pretty much set the pace for the whole production. Like, hey, guys, just make sure you have your stuff because, you know, we don't know what's happening. We don't know the location. We don't know the people. So rather be safe than sorry. And, um, you know, we were just trying to be safe in these locations because, you know, as much as we're, we're helping people in these locations, you know, I don't think necessarily people see it as that in, in a way, you know what I'm saying? You, you can still easily be a target. So you do have to, you do have to watch yourself in these locations, you know, they, they aren't necessarily safe. You know, we do definitely take a risk. So, um, one of my, the, the guy that I mentioned earlier that pulled me in, Michael Princely, I mean, his location sandbag straight up got, 
got taken from him on set, ended up having to call the production company and ask, you know, hey, uh, how's insurance looking on this kit? And they were like, it's working. Why? Yeah, because it just got stolen. Mm. So <laughs> these things do happen. So insurance is also a very important thing. So that's why um, I don't even take my own personal kit into these locations. We hire it through the production company. Those are the 633, 788s, mixed pre-10s. So I've been very fortunate enough to work with that kind of gear in these locations, but it would just be very sad for that to be, you know, your own personal uninsured kit to then be stolen. Mm. So, but at the same time, then I got to work with some really nice high-end gear, um, Sanken Cos 11s, um, Electrosonic Wireless. That was, that was a really good experience because my whole thing about initially coming into this game was, you know, the gear is extremely expensive. I don't necessarily know how to justify it and I don't know, you know, what kind of incomes at first, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, can I make this money back? But um, what people end up doing a lot in South Africa is they end up buying secondhand shipping from the States, shipping it to SA, um, and it works out at a much better rate and you can easily justify making that money back. Now, are there audio stores in Johannesburg or in South Africa where you, if you needed equipment or or accessories or expendables, are you able to have that or do you have to order it out from somewhere else? Um, thankfully, we do actually have a few stores. We've got uh, Stratosphere, we've got ProGear SA, and we've got ProSales. So there are a few companies and it's just a matter of, of bouncing between them, uh, between all the companies and just seeing what stock they actually have. But so Stratosphere is the sole distributor for electrosonics and sound devices. So for instance, we would have to go through that company, you know, to buy that stuff while ProGear SA then stocks WheezyCom and the, the lower end sound devices like the mixed pre-ranges and stuff like that. So at least we do have options. Uh, it's not completely inaccessible to get the gear. Sometimes it can just be a, a bit expensive, you know, especially if you compare prices on like BH Photo Video, True, Gotham, you know, the US prices are a lot better. But at the same time, you know, it's kind of, you know, you don't want to take the risk of shipping something and it doesn't arrive, which, which is actually exactly what happened to me be, beginning. You know, I ordered a Mac Pro from Arbold Max out in Los Angeles and uh, it ended up getting stolen. It didn't even arrive at the front door. And that was a, yeah, that was not a good moment right there. Shame the dude probably felt so bad for me. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's, that's a rough one for sure. Now, when it comes to, you know, what's your philosophy on renting versus buying gear? I, I actually really enjoyed renting the gear at first because it really gave you a hands-on perspective as to how the gear works, what features you have with the gear, why you would use these certain features in the field. Because at first I was asking myself a lot of questions. I was like, why do people have these, well, why do products have these certain features that make them so much more expensive? And now when you're on the field and you're using the gear and you're realizing that it's really working well regarding your workflow, you start to understand you know, why you need that piece of gear to do a certain job. So it felt like I was able to use a lot of different gear at the time, which gave me a much better idea as to what I wanna build for the future. So in the next month or so, I'm actually building a new kit, which I'm really excited about, which is gonna be the Sound Devices 633, four channels of Lectros, which is gonna be two SRCs, um, four LMBs, and then I want to go with the new Audio Limited A10 series, which looks very promising. I'm, I'm very excited to get my hands on one of those. 
Yeah, I met with some of the guys at Sound Devices, and I demoed some gear for them. And when that came out, I was like, you know, I'd like to check out more of those A10s as well. So, Yeah, definitely. Because what I started doing a lot was I started using social media and hashtags to really fine-tune what people are using and who's using what and what, what exactly they're shooting. So one of the guys that I'm following is JP Sound. And he ended up using from Electrosonics to Wheezy Comms. And it looks like, well, from what I can see now on his social media is he's, he's broken away from his production company and pretty much gone solo. And he's got um, two SRCs and two channels of A10. And that looks very promising. I think that's a very good way to go about things. So, you know, you also try and learn a lot from, from people's different bag setups and how they're using it and what they're using in their kits just to give me a better idea of what the industry is doing right now. And I do the same thing. I, you know, every now and then you talk with somebody and they've tried all of the pro uh, wireless mics and, and they've experimented with some. So I'm always like, yeah, you know, because I've been using electrosonics for years, so they've been working great and we've got cost 11s. And, but yeah, I was like, well, how is the WYSIWYGCOM different? How is the Zaxcom different? You know? And so a lot of these, these guys have had good, good experiences, bad experiences, whatever. So that's why I like this podcast as well, because people can really kind of hear what everybody's doing around the world. So that's been a plus. Yeah. And I, and I mean, when you contacted me, I was just like, whoa, there's a, there's a podcast for location sign guys. This is incredible. And then I just pretty much sat there the whole morning, just busy listening to everyone's interviews and the gear that they're running. And I, I think it's really cool. I think it's, you know, it's educating the industry, which is definitely going to make the industry a lot better, you know, because a lot of people sometimes will, will try and shield the information because they've worked hard to gather you know, the equipment that they have and the knowledge that they have. And sometimes it's a bit scary to pass that on to, to some younger guys up and coming. That's why I'm so thankful for, for the guy that actually pulled me in because, you know, he really took me under his wing and, and, and showed me the right way of doing things. And that helped a lot. And I was then able to fly solo um, and handle commercials, you know, feeling a lot better uh, about the knowledge that I'd gained in the previous productions. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Things have changed and we're all sharing and we want to, you know, if I can help you out and you can help me out and we can, you know, share knowledge. Um, but I've had some veterans I've tried to connect with and they just, it's like the hand came up and was like, no, you know, you're not a part of my team or you're not. And I, I thought that was so weird because I thought we had kind of gotten past that. Yeah, for sure. No, I completely agree with you because that that's what ended up happening as well. At, at one point, I was in a lecture, so I studied at Cape Audio College down in Cape Town, South Africa. And they brought in a location guy, and um, he was supposed to lecture us and, and teach us about location sound and 5.1. And he ended up speaking more about, you know, the, the work that he's done and gear that we really didn't understand at the time more than, more than techniques and the way of handling things in the industry. So I kind of felt like, you know, the, the guy was holding back a bit, but at the same time, I kind of couldn't blame him because, you know, it's a bit competitive in, in, in a way as well. You know, pe everyone wants the good contracts at the end of the day. And, um, you know, that's why they might, they might hesitate to actually, you know, give their, their tricks of the trade away so easily, which, which I also understand. But, you know, 
I think social media is making it a lot more accessible. And I think people are also understanding like, hey, you know, it's, it's super rad to see people's kit bags. Like I love seeing kit bags as I scroll across social media. I'm just like, whoa, this gear is so amazing. You know, it's, it, it helps you, you know, it shows you the options that are out there. Yeah, it's really tough choosing between Audio Limited, Wheezycom, Electrosonics. The technology is so good nowadays. Um, you know, it's really hard to make that decision and go, okay, what am I actually really going to go for now? There's so many options out there on the market. And it's not cheap. You know, you have to make an investment. You know, you get what you paid for, basically. So if you buy a lot, you cry a lot. So, But if you, you buy it, you go ahead and bite the bullet up front. You, you know, buy once, cry once. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I completely agree. My uncle's pretty much on that same same vibe. You know, his his whole saying thing is if you don't buy right, you're not gonna come right. And uh yeah, I've been trying to I've been trying to go by that. So but um I was really happy buying the the mix pre six. That's that's really what changed the game for me. Um just in terms of affordability in comparison to what you get, because you know, when I was looking at the six three threes coming up. I was like, whoa, these things are crazy expensive. I don't think I can justify the work that I have now um, and actually buy that. So going to the mix, going from the MixPre 6 into the MixPre 10, the 788, the 633, it gave me that workflow mindset. You know, it was affordable. I, I was able to play around with it a lot. And then, you know, when I came home from these from these renovation shoots and, and whatever commercials I was working at the time, I'd come home and go like, okay, cool. Does my recorder have this? Oh, no, it doesn't. Does it have this? Oh, no, it doesn't. And then and then that slowly started to sink in. And I was like, wow, okay, I can totally, I can understand why um, people charge so much for this gear. It, it is a very specialized field. It is. That is absolutely true. What was the most interesting project you've done so far? I think the most interesting project that I've worked on would probably be the 48-hour film project that we worked on in 2016. I was using these 48 hours a lot to to pretty much break into the scene and to just gather experience and knowledge and, and contacts through people. The second 48 hours, so I did one in 2014, I did one in 2015. The, the crew from the 2015 one ended up calling me up in 2016, thankfully, because I was doing like some, some dubbing jobs, foreign to foreign dialogue dubbing, and it was just... It was just such a nightmare. I was so happy to get out of there. So I flew down to Cape Town for this 48-hour film project. I was ready to go. I was like, cool, I've got all the gear. I'm ready for dialogue. I'm, I'm totally ready to boom swing this, you know, um, and, and do a better job than I did last year because my whole thing is just trying to improve. Even if, even if there are small improvements, you're always just trying to get better and make yourself better. Ended up drawing a silent film, which was like, an absolute nightmare. I was like, oh my word, like, why does it have to be me, you know, as the boom operator? So immediately, like, like my job changes in the production. Then I, then I'm recording sounds in the booth for, for the sound designer and, um, going with, with the director and discussing ideas. So eventually then my role completely changed from a boom operator into a sound supervisor where I was handling a lot of the, the communication between, the clients and the sound guys um, providing files and information and then doing a lot of sound effects recording. So the funny thing about this was actually I get a call and they're like, hey, okay, we need to record this instrument. And I'm like, okay, cool. What instrument is this? He's like, okay, cool. It's an Aeolian harp. 
so I go, I Google this Aeolian harp and um, it seems to just, it seems to work with wind. So I'm like, so I see the photos and I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, this thing's insane. He didn't send me a photo. I'm just looking at stuff on Google. I'm like, this looks pretty crazy. I don't know how this dude's going to transport this. So eventually we're like, okay, cool. We're going to go record this. Thankfully, Cape Town's super windy. So there was no problem regarding that. We, we standing out there in the field in the dark me and two friends, I think it was Jan Sanchez and Gaston Rollstone, which is the sound designer. The client arrives with the, with the music guy and the, his Aeolian harp was like a DIY version, which was a kick drum with poles and essentially like guitar strings and, and it and would actually resonate. So he's built his own DIY Aeolian harp. And I was a bit unsure about this. I was like, is this even going to work? Like, this is completely like not what's in the, not what I've referenced from Google. And um, it ended up actually working out really great. We actually ended up having a great time recording it on that shoot as well. Ended up, I was driving the car and recording sound and there's the music guy with his guitar and I've got a lav going into his, into his guitar and he's got this thing out the window and people are just staring at us as we're driving down the road. <laughs> so I thought that was that was a really fun experience and um, the sound came out really great like um, we ended up winning best sound design for that uh, the directors ended up going to Nice which was really cool so that was a really big thing for me as well as just the confidence factor you know going from being a student to now in the industry it really helps having those projects that go really well that goes you know I, I can do this I love what I do and uh, I want to pursue this career. You know, that was definitely a big turning point for me where I was like, you know, this is really what I want to do as a career. Mm. Yeah, you know, everybody talks about too, it's like, yeah, doing 48-hour film projects, student projects, things that it's okay to make a mistake on and you can work on your skill and your technique and all that. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's a lot of fun and you, you meet a lot of different people. I was, I was very honored to be around the people that I was around because... Um, they were just very inspiring to me. You know, everyone, you know, it wasn't like you were forced to be there or you were paid to be there. You you do it out of your own will. And, um, you know, you, you go in there just wanting to do a great job, like you said. You know, you want to be the best that you can be um, at all times. And um, it's I think it's such a great project to, to learn from and build connections through to the point where I actually just messaged the the group in Johannesburg and said, hey, if you guys are looking for a location sangha, um, I'm available because I, I never find it a waste, even though you're not getting paid to do it. Just the connections and, you you know, just handling the gear, the more hours um, you have on that gear, the better you will get. Absolutely. So what's uh, been your biggest technical challenge on set? I think it would have to be communication, I guess, and time management. Certain productions that I've worked on have not run as smoothly as what they should have essentially i mean for instance you know you arrive at a 5 a.m call time and you only start tracking sound at about 6 p.m which is crazy so you've been there that whole time period you know pretty much doing nothing really bored and then you and then on top of that you're working overtime to play catch up so yeah that's what i've noticed a lot I don't think production companies focus a lot on their pre-production, but it's depending on the production. I've worked on other productions, mainly commercials, where they run very smooth. People are very well prepared. Uh, everyone's professional. And I mean, you're recording from the start of the day to the end of the day. 
you know, even to the point that lunch is on time. And I feel that it, it's important to to run things as smoothly as possible. If you can really get the planning out the way and, and get a solid foundation, you're going to have a very smooth day on location. But as well, you know, I, I can imagine even with you with location sound, you know, things things do happen, things do change, and you just have to adapt to it accordingly. But um, yeah, those those were one of the ch- the challenging things, the the time factors, and you know, because I like I like to be I constantly like to be stimulated and busy and working because time flies by so much faster. Yeah, I just I just really like it when when companies have good pre-production and it really shows when you rock up onto set and everyone's well organized and it's just a well-oiled machine all around. I, yeah, I agree. I, I work on a lot of TV commercials as well. And yeah, we have, it's, it's pretty much locked in. It's like every hour of the day, it's like, okay, we have this amount of time for setup. Then we're shooting this, we're on to the next shot and we have pre-production meetings. And then, you know, we, and, and we have a pretty good team where everybody knows their responsibilities and things like that. But then you work with somebody else and they come in and it's, it's this freestyle thing and they're making it up on set after they get there. And it's like, I, yeah, I like a nice, well-oiled machine myself. Yeah, definitely, definitely. One of the shows that I ended up working on was a show where they got producers involved from South Africa and you can apply and you actually compete against other producers making music and you actually perform in this club in Soweto, South Africa called Zone 6 Venue. So you'd go up on stage and you'd, you know, you'd you'd play your set and you'd either get eliminated or you'd stay. So there's we pretty much shoot them in in two different locations. So we shoot them in the studio, which is in Randburg, South Africa. And then we'd go to the second location, which is Soweto to do the whole elimination scene. So they try to shoot two locations in one day. That ended up being a 20 hour shoot day. Needless to say, I was, I was run down. That was probably, that call time was 6 a.m. And we ended up leaving at 3.30 a.m. that, that oh. next morning. That was that was a harsh time, but but as well, I thought it was pretty fun. I I always think to myself, you know, if you can't handle these hours, you know, what are you doing here? Because, you know, if you if you love what you do, you'll persevere through that. Especially, you know, new up and coming location sound mix and boom operator in the South African industry, I'm willing to push through through those hours, even though they actually are unpaid hours. I really love what I do, so. At the end of the day, I was just happy that I was, you know, I was running a mixer and operating a boom. So that was an interesting one, though. It was that was a that was a very long day. Yeah, I can imagine. Now uh, you also do post production work, and I saw that you have your Pro Tools certified. Working in post audio, uh, how does that influence the way you're recording sound on location? I first got into post and sound design, and um, as I said previously, dubbing. It pretty much gave me. A good, a good understanding of what the post guys are looking for. So to the point where I will even come back from a day's worth of shooting, I'll export and back up that, that audio and I'll go through it and I'll listen to it. And I'll even to the point go into RX and try and fix a few problems that, that I thought I had on that shoot. And I'll try and constantly crit myself. But um, the more and more I'm getting into the location sound stuff, the less I actually want to be in post. I, I just find it so thrilling to be on location and, and recording sound because it becomes quite a thing to sit in a, in, a, in a room without windows 
you know, HVAC system running very unnatural. You know, I've done that for quite a while and uh, it's nice to, to change your location the whole time, meet new people, always, always different challenges. So I, I feel that the post work was really cool because then it allowed me to, to crit the work a lot more and try and really hone in and, and try and perfect what I was doing on set to make sure that, you know, when it gets into post, the, the post guy's super happy. He's like, whoa, okay, this, this guy's clearly got his stuff together. So that was mainly trying to use that to, to my advantage. That's good. So what was your worst onset experience? Okay, alongside that, that 20 hour shoot day, uh, it would definitely have to be on one of the renovation shows, the, the renovation shows where we were in the townships. I ended up just eating something not so great and my stomach was super upset. I'm driving to location. Uh, I've got the other sound guy next to me and he's like, dude, why are you so quiet? And I'm just like, I'm not feeling great. And um, I ended up like having to go to the bathroom in literally like a shack. Like there's no toilet seats. There, there's no roof. It's just a couple of bricks. So that was like, that was a, that was a, a rough day I'm not gonna lie because the last thing you want to well the last thing you want to feel is super sick and uncomfortable on location while they're paying you to do a job so you know that that was one of the the rough experiences but still like a really funny experience at the same time you know um it, it made me come home and appreciate the the bathroom that I have now <laughs> like you can't believe it was yeah it was quite an experience <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure everybody's got one of those stories, but it's true. It's like, you know, sometimes I have to think, okay, what am I, you might eat some real exotic meal like the day before a shoot. That's not good. And then you're like on a shoot sometimes and you try something maybe you shouldn't as well. It's yeah, there's, there's always something where you're like, oh, I shouldn't have, ha yeah. I shouldn't have eaten that meal. <laughs> For sure. There's, there's such a fine line. And, and actually after that experience, I started telling myself like, dude, don't eat any, anything that's going to upset your stomach the day before. You, you've learned your lesson. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, uh, we always like to be prepared when we go to a shoot. So did you ever forget any equipment on the way? I try not to. I actually, I generally can't sleep the night before a shoot because I'm so excited. So... I'll make, I'll triple check, you know, the main thing that I actually freak out about surprisingly is battery life. Like, oh my word, if this recorder has to die on me on this take, I'm, I'm just, it's just going to be the end of me. So I generally, I generally go a bit crazy on the batteries. I always make sure I have different backup options. So for instance, if my power bank isn't working, um, I have double A's ready on the go. I have the, the NP style converter with the back plate for the, for the Mix Pre 6 as a backup as well. So I'm, I'm always just trying to make sure that, that I can handle the situation and change it if things change accordingly. But um, the main thing that I really do like in my kit bag is actually my, what I call my trusty die tool. So, so I, play, I play paintball and um, when you buy a die paintball marker, you get a, a multi-tool. And that thing lives by my side. I mean, that thing has saved me in so many situations. I can't even count. So that's why I call it the trusty die tool. That's great. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we have, uh, what's it, you know, Leatherman is popular for a, for a multi-tool. And I have a Gerber, which I've had for, I want to say it's almost 20 years. And I actually, I found it. I dug it out. The end slides out, you know, and then you can open it up. But it's like it kind of got a little rusted. So I, I put a little 
lubricant on there, a little WD-40, and I worked it, and it works great, like brand new now. So, Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's it's just, I just feel that it's it's your job to be prepared, you know, as a location sign guy, because they're paying a lot of money for you to be there as well. So, you know, if you can stand up and be the professional and just always be well prepared, always be on time, it's going to make a big difference in your career, I feel. You know, people are going to take you a lot more seriously. That's why I was so adamant about pre-production, just not wasting people's time because, you know, really time is money. And especially, especially because we're in a service-based industry, you know, it's not like, I mean, your time is limited. You really have to make it count. Agree. Uh, what expendables do you like to use? I really like the undercoats, the overcoats, and the stickies. And I also have a pressure adhesive uh, gaff tape, which works really well in you know 90% of the situations. I've also used uh, Joey sticky stuff, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. That's worked out pretty well. And I like using uh, the fluffies. Just to get rid of the rustle, I use them with the Cos 11s. The RM 11s work great as well, but the fluffies are just incredible. It, it, it really just works so well. Now, the, the weather in, I guess, Johannesburg and, and when you're around in South Africa, it looked like I was looking online and it's kind of a moderate climate year round. It looks like it didn't get too cold and doesn't get too hot. Uh, so do you guys, you can do production year round, right? Exactly. It's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, with my, sorry, I'm like sidetracking with my grandparents coming from the Netherlands with extreme um, weathers and, weather and stuff like this, they felt that this was, South Africa was incredible because, you know, like you said, the winters aren't as cold, but it does get very hot, especially when you go into, well, when we went into the townships like Marmalodi, um, I mean, it was winter time, it was freezing. So, so you'd really strap up for the day and then you know, by lunchtime, you're having to take all this clothing off because it's just gotten super hot. And uh, yeah, just don't doubt that African sun because that'll that'll end up biting you. <laughs> uh, one of the cam ops ended up uh, being super nice and giving me one of his uh, one of his buffs just to protect my neck because the sun is just crazy. But it really does help having like an. It's pretty. The weather's pretty consistent, so we do shoot all year round. It's, you know, I live in Florida and that's kind of the same thing. It's, it's, it's super hot during the summertime, but uh, a lot of like during the wintertime when it's snowing in New York and different places, a lot of times production will come south and they're able to continue if, if there's some areas that are similar to what they want to shoot in. So, but, uh, but yeah, summertime in Florida is brutal. I mean, we're, we're pushing close to, you know, it's 96 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, and it's, and it's very humid and it, and it rains in the summertime. It, it'll rain almost every day in the afternoon. Sometimes it's really short and sometimes depending if there's a big tropical system that kind of moves through. So we go through phases where, you know, it's dry and then it's just rain every day. And so it's, it's you know, we, we adapt. For sure. Yeah. When, when I was in Orlando, Florida last year, October, November, uh, the weather was really good. I was I was really stoked, um, but really hot. I mean, the sun hadn't even come up yet, and I'm already sweating because of the humidity. So it was quite crazy. But that that is definitely you know very close to South African weather as well. But yeah, it's and then and then we end up flying to to New York, and it's absolutely freezing. Like I was just not prepared. I mean, the, the, the wind was just straight up breaking through my clothing. I had to go to a store and get some extra clothing because I did not expect that because in Florida, we were in, we were in shorts, t-shirts, and some flops. And uh, 
in New York, it was not that. It was not that. It was pretty much, I think, just going into winter, if I'm not mistaken, for, for New York. Yes. You know, I, I lived in New York for about five years, so it's like I, I thought it was just as hot uh, in New York as it was growing up in Florida and when it came to, you know, summertime. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it can be quite a contrast between what we're here and what we're experiencing in the south of the United States and then what's happening up north. So, yeah. But yeah, Cape Town was, it's, it's a bit weird. So, so in Joburg, we have summer rainfall and then winter, we don't have any rainfall. So we ended up shooting those renovation shoots during the winter time closer towards the end. So we, we really lucked out. I think we had maybe, I mean, one day where it mildly drizzled. So that, that helps a lot because you're out in the field and, um, you know, you don't, you definitely don't want your marks getting, getting super wet, your gear, your mixer, you know, that can be a, a costly day for you. Although there are ways to prevent it, obviously there's, you know, manufacturers are really good at, at looking at, you know, what conditions location sign guys are working in and adapt and make gear according to that. Thankfully we didn't need to use it. Um, at all shooting through those renovation shows which is really cool and then cape town on the other hand rains rains in winter and then it's a super dry summer so it's a bit weird like that but yeah production happens all year round which is which is great now i saw some of your pictures you're wearing like a bandana across your face and for windy conditions is it pretty windy and dusty as well yeah, that that's the buff that the cam up actually ended up giving to me it's uh it's super windy and in these um you know, these, these township locations, it's very dusty. So, I mean, if you, if you're not wearing a buff, what ends up happening is you get home at the end of the day and your teeth just have sand and it's just like such a nightmare to clean out, to be honest with you. It's like, just, just prevent it while you're there. Plus it like, it really helps with um, making sure that your neck doesn't get burnt because it gets, it gets crazy hot, you know, just trying to find a tree out there is like, whoa, okay, these are, these are sacred around here. <laughs> That's true. Now, for uh, listeners getting started, do you have any freelance tips? If anything, um, I could definitely recommend if you guys were getting into location sun and you guys were looking for a recorder, I would definitely recommend the Mix Pre 6 because it has changed the game for me and, and the workflow and the mindset. You know, that will definitely get you prepared for the more higher end gear. Um, I'm so happy that they did end up releasing, you know, a more prosumer model so that you could really go, okay, yeah, I, I like this gear and I'm willing to upgrade. So, and, and I mean, I still, I use this MixPre 6 so much. So when I do upgrade to the 633, I won't get rid of this MixPre because it's just so useful. You know, even with this podcast, it was easy to, you know, just root sound out of the, the MacBook Pro and record, you know, both sets of dialogue, both myself and yours, which is really cool. It's so versatile. You can use it in so many different avenues. So, um, you know, that's what I could say to the guys wanting to buy gear. If you're wanting to get into the game, geez, just try and be open-minded. Just be, you know, a good dude. No one really likes working with people who are difficult. So just try and be easy to work with and um, try and make connections because the connections are going to really help you out in this industry. You're going to need those connections and just try and be keen and eager and just keep yourself ready for when those opportunities come. Because, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I was doing before, um, 
you know, finished college, finished, um, did a lot of the dubbing work. Eventually, I started getting into camera work and marketing and website design. So, like, completely going off track just to keep myself afloat. But um, sound was always in the background and then using social media to check out what dudes were doing, the gear that they were using, the expendables, the mics, and um, just making sure that you're prepared for when that opportunity arises because you, you want to be ready for that. Do you have any kind of services available for freelancers to, for getting the next job or is it kind of a word of mouth thing? It seems to be more of a word of mouth thing, um, to be honest. Um, like I said earlier, it was, it was quite hard for me to break into the industry. I was doing a, a lot of camera work in between, a lot of photos, a lot of marketing just to stay afloat. And, um, you know, then I ended up knowing a friend through paintball who was also a sangha. So I was like, oh my word, this is such a blessing. Thank goodness. And um, yeah, I've just tried to keep the ball rolling with that. Um, and I mean, just through just through the one job, I ended up getting the next job and meeting someone else. And, and that really helped. But I, I really think it would be awesome if South Africa had this platform to, to promote freelancers. I know that some companies will just hire you as, a, as an engineer for the day and you use their gear and that's the end of that. So, but it, it, to make it more profitable, you would most likely need to move away from renting and invest in your own equipment, which is what I'm currently doing now. Okay. What are some common rookie problems that you see from sound people over and over again? Most likely it would be, you know, the fear of marking someone up depending on your talent, you know, because you're getting up in people's spaces. So, so that's one thing that, that people try and shy away from sometimes. You know, if it doesn't sound right, you have to get involved. You have to change the way it's sounding from what it was to make it sound better because the post guy is really not going to be happy with you when he when he hears like this muffled dialogue and the scratchiness that you can't even edit out. So yeah, just being involved and just realizing that, you know, peop everyone's there to do a job, you know, just, just be professional around everyone and, you know, you'll be fine. All right. If some of our listeners wanted to get on into location sound, what would you recommend they do? Definitely do the 48 hour. Hey, that was really my first exposure to location sound. And um, that certainly wasn't the last. After that, I just wanted the next contract. That was just like, whoa, this, what was this? This was amazing. Because before, I never really took into consideration that there, you know, location sound was a, was a career. I more saw the post side of things, especially where we were studying. Like I said, we didn't really have any location sound gear. So it was only when this job came up, I bought a recorder, bought a boom, that, you know, I really started to get excited. I was like, okay, whoa, now we don't just have to be in a studio recording. We can really be out there in the field. So the 48 hour, I felt like that really inspired me to, to, to pursue this career and a lot easier to break into. Well, Stefan, as we start to kind of wrap things up here, do you have any final words of wisdom that you can share with the listeners? You never stop learning, you know, and the technology is always changing. So that's why I'm trying to just use social media just to keep up to date with, with everything that the manufacturers are releasing. Um, sorry, it's like mainly going on about gear, but it is an important thing, you know, you, it's, it's really rad to geek out about the gear, but it's also important to know the tools and how these tools can benefit you on the job and make your life a lot easier. Um, one thing that I could recommend is just make sure you have a decent bag because, you know, as you know, you do a lot of cable runs, you, you need the space. 
um, I was running a, a, a small Stingray bag and I just wasn't able to run the power distribution the way I am now with the OR32. So, you know, I feel that the bag has changed the game for me and the harness because, you know, you're boom swinging a lot. And if you're now mixing and boom swinging at the same time, you, you want to make sure that you have that flexibility of strapping the soundbag to your body and um, just be just having easy access. I mean, the first 48 hour I did, we ended up putting the, the Zoom H6 on, on a tree stump running a long XLR to the boom swinger. And uh, yeah, one dude pressing record and just writing down take uh, take lists and you know the one boom operator just, just swinging the whole time. So that, that definitely helped a lot. Uh, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, so you can visit my website at uh, www.dnxmediaproductions.com or you can email me at info at dnxmediaproductions.com. Um, even on social media, you can contact me on social media. All right. So I want to say thanks for being on the show today, Stefan. And if you're doing some production in Johannesburg, South Africa, look him up. Oh, thanks, Michael. Uh, I really, I feel so honored to be on this podcast and to be geeking out with a, a fellow location sign guide like yourself. You know, it's it's really cool to be to, to for you to have hit me up to to just talk about location sound. Like I said, I, I love geeking out about sound stuff. Thanks, man. Cheers, dude. Cheers. And a big thanks to all of our listeners out there. If you'd like us to discuss a particular topic, please send us an email at locationsoundpodcast at gmail.com. We would love for you to subscribe and leave us a comment. We're available on Apple Podcasts, and for Android users, check out Google Podcasts. Also, we're on Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, and on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, remember, sound is half the picture.